Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me to finish uh, this odyssey that we've begun and it's been taking us for the past month or so to get through, uh, ranking all the individual positions, is my good buddy Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, what's going on, man? Not much. Excited to get into the wingers yet. It takes us a while to get through. I think our idea of trying to get done uh, through multiple positions in one podcast doesn't ever come to fruition where we talk too much. We do. I mean, we spend like half the show talking about honorable mentions and guys we really wanted to have on our list. And then we just breeze through the actual list itself. But I think that's, uh, you know, that's part of the fun. That's what I always tell people about these lists. It's like, it's more about, uh, sort of the content of like what we're talking about and, and what went into the thought process for our rankings more than like which guy was 14th and which guy was seventh or whatever. So, um, I, I'm, I'm cool with that, but you're right. I mean, we typically go like at least like 70, 75 minutes on these per position group. And, and so for those that haven't listened yet, we did defensemen, uh, most recently on episode 317. We did centers on episode 312 and I did goalies on episode 313 with Kevin Woodley. So go check all those out. Today we're doing wingers. We've been teasing it for three weeks. I feel like every time we've done a position group so far, we started off the show saying we were going to do wingers and we haven't done it yet, but today's the day we're finally going to get into I guess the sort of the most dense group, right? Just because we're jamming left and right wingers together. And that leads to kind of an overflow where there were, I don't know how how you felt about it, but when I was putting together my list, like I initially had at least like four or five guys that I had pictured having inside of my top 15, just because I feel like they're that caliber of player. But then once I finally started writing the names down, I was like, Oh, there's just no way I can jam them in here. And so I have, I have more of like a top 20 than a top 15, but that just speaks to the depth of the position. 
Yeah, I had like it was almost the, the toughest thing was to come up with whittling down the honorable mentions so we didn't spend the whole podcast on them, right? Yeah. I, I had at one point like fifteen guys that I wanted to talk about in the honorable mentions, so it was it was kind of tough that, to to come up with the fifteen and cut people off and then cut whittle it down to around uh, twenty names overall. So yeah, it's it's a tough one. I feel like wingers is a position where they kind of. Like everyone knows that a winger doesn't impact the game as much as a center does, and you know the best winger is probably around the fifth best, uh, or fifth or sixth best center in the league in terms of impact. So, like you don't have that extremely high, super elite uh, group, but after that, there's this huge group of players who have so much talent and. Uh, I think wing is probably the deepest position in the NHL. Maybe it's because it's the simplest to play and we put the least value on defense. So you can really go, go deep on a player's offensive contributions. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's really hard to whittle this one down. Well, yeah, there's a lot of players here that like it might, especially like in the honorable mentions group where like if you're a team and they're your number one sort of most relied upon winger, you're going to be fine, which it, it just, it, that's not true for like when we do like centers and defensemen, right? Where it's like, there's mm-hmm. a pretty clear drop off. And if you're relying on guys down the list to do too much or really do all of the heavy lifting, you might be in a bit of trouble. But here, I mean, especially for a lot of teams, I guess they sort of acknowledging everything you said there about sort of defensive responsibilities and sort of how deep the position is and all the demands of it. Um, in, in some cases, you're probably better off with having more of like a depth approach where a lot of players are interchangeable. But a lot of the names we're going to be going through here are um, remarkable talents. Give me, let's start off with the honorable mentions or guys that just missed the cut and give me like four or five names that you struggled with the most that ultimately wound up falling just short. Yeah, I think the guy that I struggled with the most that fell just short was probably Miko Rantanen, just because the potential is so high. But I think we also talked about uh, Blake Wheeler didn't make either of our lists, but I kept him in the honorable mentions just out of uh, respect. Um, Brandon Gallagher was a really tough one for me to not put in the tough top 15, just because he's such a high-impact player, but he's mostly just an even strength player and that's usually what you're looking for but when you're looking at the top 15 you want uh, a little bit more versatility and the last one that I had that I really wanted to put in there but didn't quite make it was Radulov and I think that's just an age thing I think he's still one of the most exciting players in the game but eventually you expect a guy like that to fall off a bit yeah, I had Radulov and Gallagher on honorable mentions. The Gallagher was definitely uh, one of the names I was referencing when I thought when I started thinking about my list. I was like, I think I feel like I'm going to have him around like the 13, 14, 15 range because I just appreciate what he brings to the table so much and and how good um, you know all of his five on five metrics are. But then when you start nitpicking a little bit and you start considering some of the names versus him, and it's like oh, a lot of these guys are you know, fine enough at five on five, but they move the needle so much in the scoring department or on the power play that it kind of gives them a slight leg up on him, but he certainly deserves praise. And I think he's a name that's not typically thought of in sort of national league wide circles as being in this group of players on the on this caliber of talent. But I mean, just his resume uh, over the past couple of years really speaks for itself in terms of how big of an impact player he has been at 5-on-5. So I had him as my honorable mention. I actually had Miko Rantanen in my top 15. I had him at 13th. Um, so I wanted that to be clear for all the Avs fans that have been mad at us over the past <laughs> couple of years for, for knocking him too far down the list. I, I think was it last year or two years ago? We we might have had him on honorable mentions or we didn't even talk about him at all. But I wanted to be clear that... Um, 
Andrew's the one that is hating on Miko Rantanen, and I do have him <laughs> inside of my list. Oh, Andrew hates on him for having him 16, while Dimitri at 13 loves him. I mean, listen, it's it's a pretty clear divide. <laughs> I mean, between 16 and 13, it really speaks to uh, our affection for the player. Um, uh, it's true. Is there... Let's do let's do a little bit on Rant in here since I do have him inside of my top fifteen and, and he just missed the cut on yours. I mean, you know, with a guy like him, and we're gonna talk more about, you know, this when we do Leon Dreisaitl, for example. And and there's other players here, especially if you're um a top notch winger that plays with an elite center that we also had in our top fifteen. Sometimes we struggle as analysts or as fans to differentiate to kind of split those two apart and try to um isolate and identify the value that the winger provides. And in this case, I mean, Rantanen is very clearly in a great spot where he plays with Gabriel Aniskog and Nathan McKinnon, and they do so much as a trio for the Avalanche. And especially on that power play, um, they've looked so lethal this year that I imagine once again, the point totals will be through the roof for those guys. Um, you know, in Rantanen's case, he really has impressed me over the past calendar year. Um, in terms of his offensive upside, I always thought of him as more of a sort of steady player, but his dual threat ability on that power play as a shooter, but also as a prolific playmaker has really stood out to me. And especially at that size, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a skill set that, um, I imagine most teams really covet and, and would love to have. And so he's really, he's really grown on me over as time has passed, uh, passed on because I wasn't necessarily super high on him out of the draft and early in his career, but it seems like like he has continued to get better and better. Yeah, and, and I'm right with you on Rantanen. I think I think last year I had him quite far down the list, despite his point production, because uh, in the numbers that I was looking at, in terms of like how much he was involved in the offense, he was very clearly riding Nathan McKinnon's coattails to that first 80 point season. But last year he really stepped it up. He was really more of his own man. Not to say that he isn't, you know, elevated by McKinnon because he is. But uh, what stuck out to me was uh, like Rantanen kind of had the same season that Mitch Marner had last year, but with less fanfare, despite the fact that he was repeating that. So I kind of had to balance because I have Mitch Marner in my top 15 Mm -hmm. and I think Mitch Marner is slightly better than Rantanen. And it kind of comes down to, for me, like who's being carried more by their center. And I think McKinnon is doing a bit more than Tavares is uh for for Rantanen versus for Marner for Tavares, so it was like a really tight thing uh, for me. But I, I really think Rantanen will be in the top fifteen for a very long time. Like he's really his career arc has been incredible, and he's mm-hmm. still he's twenty two years old. Like he's also six four. He's a giant. Like he's not uh, a player that needs protecting in any way. Uh, he's he's really elevated his game uh, in carrying the puck. He doesn't necessarily need to, but uh, he can now. And like you said, he's a dual threat. And I think that's the thing where I struggled most putting Marner ahead of him is I, I have a far more belief that Miko Rantanen can score than mm-hmm. Mitch Marner can yep. score. So I have Marner slightly ahead, but I am fully willing to flip those two in the near future. Yeah. No, I agree with that 100%, especially as a shooter. And it's 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 been kind of funny watching uh, the Leafs early on the season. I mean, they have such an embarrassment of riches offensively, and especially on that top unit power play. But they, they seem insistent on trying to make this uh, Mitch, Mitch Marner is a, is a threat as a shooter thing happen, which is kind of bizarre to watch. I wonder if that was like part of his contract. He's like, I, I want to be featured as a shooter. I want to prove that I can do that. But um, Rantanen really uh, does it all. And... 
Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's all that really needs to be said. I just wanted to quickly get into him there. I mean, there's a couple other honorable mentions. Is Blake Wheeler, for me, um, you know, he's been on this list in the past. We've discussed when we talked about Shifley on the centers about how, um, you know, their five-on-five play has dipped quite a bit and maybe people aren't fully noticing just because the point totals are so high because there's such a good combo as a, as a passer and shooter and on the power play. But, you know, it's funny. Um, I was looking at this and, and so Mark Stone played 18 games in Vegas last year in the regular season. And he was a, uh, According to Evolving Wilds goals above replacement model, he was plus 3.6 goals above replacement in those 18 games, and Wheeler was plus 2.8 in all of his 82. So, um, yeah, I think that kind of kind of says it all. I mean, we're going to talk a lot more about Stone later in this podcast, but Wheeler, despite the high point totals, um, there was just too many holes in his resume, especially from last season, to justify putting him on in the top 15 here. Yeah, and, and I wrote about Wheeler for the the free press a couple weeks ago now, basically looking at how his his offense not hasn't necessarily um, declined precipitously over the last couple of seasons, but going back, I think it was like three, four years ago was his peak. And when you look at him compared to where the league is going, where uh, offense across the league is going up, and his has kind of stayed stagnant, dropped a little bit, but the point production has rocketed up, and you're like, okay, something isn't right here like the points are there but the player is falling off Mm -hmm. Uh, what he's doing to earn those points is not happening as often anymore uh, especially relative to the rest of the league Uh, he's actually had a pretty decent start to this year Mm -hmm. but uh you know it's one of those things where with a guy that age you expect some decline in their game and as great of a player as wheeler was for such a long time uh age waits for no man it always wins so it, it just was just enough to pull him down. I still think he's one of the best power play players in the entire NHL, but uh, at even strength, he was a bit of a black hole last year, uh, him and Shifley. So, you know, if, if he were bounds, maybe he'd get back up in here because he has such a good impact in so many other areas. But so far, I don't think the, the rebound this year has been enough to get him back in there. Yeah, no, that's well said. I mean, there's a couple other names here. Like, do you have Jeff Skinner on your list? Who was that, sorry? Jeff Skinner. Jeff Skinner? No, I don't. No. So I, I like Jeff Skinner. I had Jonathan Huberto. I, I, I mean, I love their um, like their skill sets and their production. Obviously, last year was through the roof for both guys. I mean, was Skinner scoring as many goals as he did in that kind of cushy spot playing with Eichel and and, uh, and Huberto being on that top line with Barkov in the top power play. But um, I just wanted to give them a little bit of love here. But I mean, this top 15 is so meaty and so jam-packed. So I think... I think we should get right into it. I mean, this is exciting. We only did 12 minutes on our album mentions. Usually that's like at least half an hour on these shows. So uh, I feel like we're actually saving ourselves quite a bit of time here to to really unpack all these guys that are actually on our list. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get right into it. Yeah, I yeah, actually yeah. had uh, one of your guys from one of your guys that was honorable mention I had at 15 was uh, Jonathan Huberto. Mm, nice. Yeah, he just missed my list. Yeah, so he he's he's good. I think the thing about Huberto is like you were talking about earlier, he's a bit of a dual threat. Uh, I think he's again a really good power play player, and his even strength play is really coming along in the last season season or two. Uh, he's just got a lot of upside, and he, he's he's got a lot of versatility that hasn't necessarily been um, unlocked perfectly yet. But I think uh, that combination of him and Barkov is so special uh, when they get put together, which is not always, but uh, even when they're split apart. Like I think they were split apart for a large portion of last season and you know florida was terrible but they both had quite the offensive season i know we talked about uh, barkov wasn't great defensively last year compared to his normal but i think 
Huberto's really come along after I thought for a while that he was going to be not necessarily a bust, but never really fulfill his draft potential. And he's kind of looking like he is. Absolutely. And that is a, a great spot for him to be playing um, when he is with Barkov and when he is on that top power play. And, and yeah, I guess perception is a really funny thing because I think he came into the league with such sky high expectations based on his junior production and sort of what we thought of him as a prospect and the fact that he got picked third overall. And then it took him a little while to get there. Um, he didn't really develop in that sort of stepwise um, trajectory that we like, that we like to think prospects always will. And so it took him a bit longer. Um, and there was a while there where I did think of him as, as being kind of injury prone and I felt like he was always banged up, but he hasn't missed a game over the past two seasons. Um, you know, he had 30 goals and 92 points last year and he's still only, tw- he just turned 26 this summer. So, I mean, he's still, you know, a young guy that's conceivably like in the middle of his prime right now. And so you're right. I mean, he's, he's a heck of a dynamic player. And that's why it was so weird to see his name pop up in some trade rumors last year when sort of the food, the Panthers were trying to figure out who was going to stick around and what they were going to do last summer. And I think they, they did a good job of making sure not to, uh, not to part with him because that I felt like that would have been a mistake. Yeah, it definitely would have been. And, you know, I guess it was a bit of a surprise, but nothing with the Panthers surprises me anymore. (laughs) They're so all over the place. But yeah, uh, Huberto is, I think he's, if not in that top 15, he's like right there knocking at the door like you had him in your uh, honorable honorable mentions. Yeah, that's right. Um, All right. My my number 15 is, uh, is Matthew Kachuk. Oh yeah, you know he should have been in my honorable mentions. I really like Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, he. I mean, he is a different player than a lot of the guys we've mentioned so far. I guess mm. he's he, he's kind of similar in a way to Brandon Gallagher in terms of, um, you know, the five on five impact and his ability around the net and in tight and how he drives opposing teams crazy. Um, you know, Mayhem is a is a very apt nickname for him uh, <laughs> in his three full seasons in the league, not counting the start of this one. Uh, he's drawn 116 penalties and he's taken 86. And, wow. uh, you know, the, the fact that he's taken 86, which is like amongst the league leaders in that time, and he still uh, has such a positive um, differential plus 30. I mean, he is a very unique player in that sense. And there's a lot about him that um, there's a lot to like. And I think he is versatile. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to pigeonhole a guy like that as just kind of an agitator. But I think he's so much more skilled than that. And, is in a really nice spot there on that second line with Backland. And so, yeah, I, I considered a lot of other guys for my 15 slot there, but eventually um, I just put him there because I do think he is sort of the most complete player in terms of putting all of those things together amongst the names that I considered. Yeah, and he really stepped up a lot last year. I, I think his first couple of years in the league, I know his second year he didn't get um, – the assist that he did his first year and he it looked like he was uh, becoming more of a goal scorer but he's been more of a playmaker than a shooter in his career mm-hmm. and like really high-end playmaker and then last year he added the goal scoring as well you know 34 goals is pretty impressive for a player who's primarily a playmaker and uh pretty dangerous on the power play as well yep. not necessarily in the Rantanen or, or marner mold but yeah he puts you on the power play all the time as well so yep. that's that's a nice little bonus I, I think matthew kachuk should make the list or be close to it only or like if only for his annoyance of drew dowdy <laughs> that rivalry is one of the funniest things in the nhl it is. I mean, that's uh, that's 
second best defenseman drew Doughty to uh to all the <laughs> listeners no you're right i mean it, it has been fun no and trust me Doughty is not is far from the only one who uh he's i guess most publicly or most or the highest profile player that's that um kachuk has gotten on their skin of but man he uh just watching some of these games it, it feels like pretty much every team wants to take his head off and that means he's doing his job and the fact that he is as skilled as he is similar to uh you know marshand or gallagher probably drives opponents that much more crazy because he actually backs it up and you can't just kind of wave it off or, or, or chalk it up as kind of like a, a goon who's just out there to, to, to shit disturb because he does so much offensively that it's like you just see him celebrating and that probably just, just drives you even more crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the pests that actually get things done are, are much more annoying. And I, I think when I look at like Matt Kachuk's career arc, um, like his best comparable is probably Brad Marchand. Mm-hmm. And he might never hit the peak that Marchand has hit because how unlikely is it that a right. guy like Marchand hit that peak in his like late 20s, early 30s? It's really rare. But age to age, he's significantly better, I think. Yeah. Oh, certainly. I mean, it took Marshawn quite a long time to become anything resembling the player he is now, whereas Kachuk pretty much was right out of the gate. Um, yeah, but, exactly. but you're right. I think, I think uh, you know, it's similar to what I was saying about Huberto and sort of that like stepwise trajectory and improving at a certain pace. Like, I, I don't think it's fair to Kachuk to to expect that he's going to reach that that tier of player, especially being as dynamic um, as Marshawn is, because that's it's just such like a a historical anomaly. It feels like in terms of what he was and what he turned into at that point of his career. Um, let's let's keep going with this list. Who do you have at 14? At 14, I have Mitch Marner. Mm. Uh, mainly just due to the growth of his game. Uh, I think he's one of the better playmaking wingers in the league, uh, especially on the power play. Uh, the even strength production, I think I need to see another season before he would move any higher. Uh, I want to see him get it done uh, without Tavares, even though he probably won't have to, but I'd like to see it. And, you know, I think Marner, the biggest steps in his game, everyone's focused on the offense, has been defense in the last season and a bit. Uh, he's He went from basically being a, a guy who coasted for outlet passes along the blue line to being pretty involved in uh, working along the boards and trying to intercept passes. And he's been fairly successful at it and has used his, uh, you know, agility and, you know, renewed defensive interest into being a moderately successful penalty killer uh, who can generate some offense on the PK as well. So I think there's some versatility coming in his game that uh, we haven't seen the peak of yet, even if he may never have as good of an offensive season again as he had last year. Yeah, I mean, he's clearly in a great spot to uh, to produce a lot of points and playing with uh, with a goal scorer like Tavares. I mean, it is a bit unfair to him to be like, well, we need to see it without him because um, it's probably not going to happen. Uh, at, yeah. at this point, just because why why would they split those two guys after how good they were together and sort of how their roster is constructed? But um, yeah, he is he's such a he's such a good passer. I mean, some of the stuff he does on the power play with the cross seam action over to Matthews or these kind of like uh, moves where he looks like he's going to drive towards a net or shoot, and then he does like kind of like a spitting pass that creates so much space for Morgan Riley at the top of the point to do something himself, like. He must be um, so fun to play with because if you're open at all or if you are a threat as a shooter, you can feel confident that he's probably going to get you. He's going to serve the puck up to you like on a silver platter, and that must be so fun to play with. Yeah, get into where you want to shoot from, and he'll he'll find you. And I think that's the main thing with Marner that 
fans love so much, right, is just the pure creativity that he has. And that's why he's so good on the power plays. That extra space allows him, you know, that extra half second to make these moves. And, you know, even if he never really brings that level at even strength, I think he's still in this conversation just because, like, the the level of creativity is rare. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people equate um, puck skills most often with talent. And, that's why you see a lot of specifically Leafs fans thinking that Mitch Marner's, you know, a top five player in the game. And obviously, I don't think either of us believe that. No. But uh, in terms of skill level, he's definitely up there um, and creativity specifically. Uh, his ability to do weird things that people don't expect with the puck is 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 up there with the top in the league. Uh, there aren't very many pe- very many players who I'd say are more creative than Mitch Marner. Yeah, no, I think that's fair to say. I mean, I had him at 11 on my list, so I was like a slightly higher um, on him than you, but I'm right there in terms of sort of the rationale and, and what he does well versus what he doesn't and sort of the concerns with, with his um, sort of statistical profile. But yeah, he's a, he's a heck of a player. Who do you have? Uh, okay, so you had him at 14. Yeah. Okay, so I, I'll tell you who I had at 14, and this might be a little bit of a... Uh, a little bit of bias, but I can't be rational about this guy. Philip Bush okay. Forsberg. I mean, I, uh, he is, and this might be like a little, you know, what you were just saying about Mitch Marner and sort of when you watch him and, and some of the stuff he does, and maybe you can get a bit overly excited about it just because it looks so good and so different from a lot of players. Like when I watch Forsberg play, I mean, some of the stuff he does with the puck and how slick and dynamic he is, and, and he's the perfect mold of player that I like from my winger in terms of, um, you know, he's just a monster carrying the puck through the neutral zone. And, and, and it feels like I can't even remember a time where he like willingly dumped the puck in for no reason. It feels like he's always trying to squeeze the most out of a play, you know, sometimes maybe even to his detriment because it feels like he's trying to do a little too much. But the f- effect so far that um, Matt Duchesne's arrival has had on him and sort of how it sparked that line and, and himself, Duchesne and Granlin and how good they've looked. I mean, I think there's a lot to like there and it feels like even though he's been an incredibly productive player, um, it feels like there's still another step for him to take as a, a point producer and specifically a goal scorer where if he can stay healthy for a full season, he can put it all together. And, and it feels like in the past, he's kind of started off slow and then he's gotten on these crazy goal scoring binges to wind up having a good overall pack, package for the season. But it feels like now that he started off strong, if he can really put it all together, there might be another step for him to take. And, and I feel like I'm betting on that talent a little bit here. Yeah, I actually had Forsberg a little bit higher, so Ooh, I don't think nice. you're crazy at all. Oh, right. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're biased. I had Forsberg at 12. I actually wanted to put him higher, and the only reason I didn't is because Nashville's offense kind of stagnated in the last couple of years, uh, not necessarily be, because of Forsberg, but I find he's a little bit – he became a little bit too uh, used to shooting from the perimeter and just letting Arvidsson do all the work in tight to the net. Mm-hmm. And Forsberg has such good hands that I wanted to see him move in tighter. And, uh, is, you know, you can't really argue with him for how many goals he scores. But uh, I, I think, like you said, that there's more to expect from him, which is kind of crazy and unfair. But he's he's so good in so many areas. And I think he's a, a versatile forward as well. He, he does a lot of things uh, at both ends of the ice that I really like. And, yeah, you know, the health is definitely an issue. Uh, missing almost 20 games for two straight seasons. But at the same time, he's, you know, got close to 30 goals in those two seasons anyway. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe you're not going to get 80 points out of him, but you might get 60 and 60 anyway. 
Yeah, that was the thing. It was, I mean, the talent and what he does in all the other areas as that puck carrier in transition in terms of his ability to use that to, you know, draw penalties and, and everything. Um, it feels like he should be higher. But then when you actually looked at the production offensively and you compared it and stacked it up to some of the other names that I have ahead of him on this list, I just couldn't justify moving him any higher, it felt like. But the underlying um, sort of skill set there and what he's capable, I think, just from a talent perspective, is a top 10 player on this list. And so I had him at, at 14. Ultimately, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you had him at 12 and a uh, long, long live uh, Philip Forsberg. Exactly. We got to do it for the meme. It's absolutely. I love that. I, that's yeah, that's my favorite thing that's ever happened to me on Twitter. So far. The, uh, <laughs> when all the Predators fans thought that I was him and, and tweeting during games. Um, which, and the best part is I think it was like Instagram uh, bio for a while was like, I don't have Twitter. And, uh, <laughs> so I wonder if that was related to, uh, to, to my, my tweets, but, uh, anyways, um, so you, okay. So you had Huberto at 15, you had Marner at 14, you have Forsberg at 12. So who do you have, uh, in between those guys at 13? I have David Pasternak, which I'm sure a lot of people will be like, what that low, but I, I kind of punish him a little bit for playing with two other guys that are rated so highly. And I think Pasternak for all the good things that he does do, doesn't have the versatility that Marshawn and Bergeron do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a good defensive player, but not necessarily special. And you know, it's kind of interesting timing because he scored four goals the game before <laughs> we're recording this podcast. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think he's an unbelievable goal scorer, unbelievable point producer. But uh, I just don't think he has the versatility of some of the guys who maybe produce slightly less, but uh, do a little bit more. Uh, on this list so that's why he slid down it wasn't necessarily any specific problem that i had with his game versus other guys it's just other players contribute in more ways and i think i lean more towards looking mostly at offense for wingers than any other position and you know he's coming off of an 80 point season in 66 games that's pretty darn impressive but uh, there's just a lot of really good wingers so it was tough to uh put him any higher yeah, no, I, I, that's fair. I certainly hear that argument. I had him a bit higher at 10. I'm just so infatuated with, um, you know, his growth as a player kind of from year to year and sort of what I still think is a bit of untapped potential. Like if he's just, if he just winds up being what he's already shown to be, that's going to be an amazing game changing player already. But it feels like just because he does play with two players of the caliber of Bergeron and Marjan and sort of all the little things they do, he kind of doesn't need to do it in a way. And yeah. it feels like he can kind of take a step back there. And then when they get into the offensive zone, he really gets unleashed a little bit and they rely upon him more and more. It feels like with each year to um, not just be a goal scorer, but use that threat to open up passing lanes and, and kind of try some new stuff. And it feels like, you know, not necessarily that he, that he had like kind of training wheels on, but it does feel like he's, um, growing into that larger role as time's gone on in terms of some of the, the creativity that he's displayed and, and some of the moves he tries to do um, it through the neutral zone and as he's entering the offensive zone and, you know, kind of going between the legs and just pulling off ridiculous stuff. And so I, I do still think there's another kind of layer to peel back there in his game. Um, but yeah, just watching him as a threat from that left circle on that power play. I mean, his ability to not only um, get remarkable speed and accuracy off on his shot, but it really does feel like, um, and I I know that 
usually it's like Tory Krug passing to him, who I think is one of the best uh, passers for, uh, from the blue line on that power play. But his ability to sort of make it easy on whoever's passing it on him by giving them a large room for air and sort of being able to receive any puck and still one-time it with supreme efficiency is is a sight to behold. He, I think if he isn't already, he should be very firmly in that discussion with like Ovechkin, Stamkos, and Line a as, as the best kind of pure shooters, uh, both in terms of the actual um, numbers, but also just in terms of watching him kind of work his craft. Yeah, and I think the thing that impresses me most about Pasternak is how he's willing, or not necessarily willing, but how he's able to kind of shrug off how the team is performing around him. It seems like there's so many games that I've watched where Boston is just laying an absolute egg, and then all of a sudden, you know, a team is is beating them up, but at the same time hasn't been able to open up a big lead. There, It's like one nothing or something. And out of nowhere, Pasternak just scores two quick goals from like odd angles or just like this absolute ripper shot into the open, like the top of the cage. And you're just like, where, where did that even come from? And I, I'm sure Leafs fans can attest that this happens a lot. And uh, especially in the playoffs, but also he's actually increased his goal scoring every single year. And he's been in the NHL. Eh? Mm-hmm. Like even last year, he did his career high despite uh, only playing 66 games. And Hey, he's on pace for 82 this year. And yeah, well, I'm sure he's going to hit that, but, um, <laughs> it, and he also, he entered the league at such a young age, right? He is an 18 year old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and sort of the situation he went into and the, the, the specific team he's on and who he plays with, like, I do feel like he is a candidate to, uh, as they, as I mean, listen, Bergeron and Marchand are still ridiculously good. And, and we're going to get into Bergeron later on, uh, Marchand later on this list. And we talked about Bergeron as a top five setter on the previous podcast. But, um, as time goes on and as those guys kind of start taking steps back or, or start kind of their minutes start being managed a bit more while the team tries to kind of prolong the, the most productive seasons of their career, it does feel like there is an opportunity there for Pasternak to take the shoulder, a larger, um, percentage of that workload and sort of, be asked to do a bit more uh, with the puck as opposed to being just a shooter. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see how that kind of coincides with his mid twenties, where he in theory should be putting it all together, both physically and mentally and really hitting his absolute peak. Yeah. And I think Boston to their credit has done a good job of, you know, not only have their players been age defying in a lot of ways, but it seems like as much as Pasternak might be benefiting ridiculously by playing on that line that he kind of came into and it was already uh, a high functioning line it seems like everyone that they put on that line for the most part learns from those players uh, it might be like good practice habits from Bergeron and Marshawn it could be just that they're both good teachers but mm-hmm. it kind of seems like the same thing is like every winger that plays with Sidney Crosby kind of takes something out of it they're just skill teachers you know and it seems like there's something that transfers there and uh, I, I would not be surprised at all if once those guys kind of age out of their windows, if they ever do something in the water in Boston. But, you know, once you see like Bergeron retire or uh, Brad Marchand start to dip a little bit, that Pasternak becomes the be all end all of the line and carries it on to the next generation. It, it just wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, no, I think he's uh, I think he's capable of that. And so I'm excited to see that eventually uh, manifest itself. Um Okay, so yeah, we're we've done your 15, 14, 13, and 12. Who do you have next on the list? 
Next up, I have uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. Nice. So this is your 11th guy, right? Yeah. Adam at 12. So um, I'm right there with you. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, Vladdy Daddy. Yeah. So obviously one of the most dangerous goal scorers in the NHL. Uh, I think last year, obviously he played with uh, some good centers, but most of his career, I think he's demonstrated that he can do it all on his own. Mm-hmm. That's what really impressed me about him. There's very few wingers in the league that can do it all on their own uh, drive play create offense and Tarasenko is one of them so even if maybe he's not uh, at his peak peak right now uh, I think he's still right there yeah he does seem like he in a in a position that is typically um, pretty sort of situationally dependent or you know you're reliant at least a little bit on who you're playing with down the middle. Um, I do feel very confident that he could play with pretty much anyone and he'd still be good for his like annual 35 goals. And maybe he doesn't have the, um, the highs or the ceiling that some of these other guys do like his, his consistency and his ability to year in and year out, just give you exactly um, what you expect and need from him is pretty special. And, I'm interested with him about where we're at as a sort of hockey community and sort of the dialogue or, or the narrative around him. Like are, are people just sort of set in that and, and happy with it? Or after that postseason run with the blues having the success they did, like are people higher on Tarasenko now? Or, or it, it feels like amongst this group of players, he probably gets talked about the least, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure part of that is just that St. Louis is a small market team. Uh, I think they're one, actually one of the smallest market teams in the league. They small don't really get a lot of press. Yeah. That's the other thing, right? They're a very choking defensive team and they have been for a long time. So they're, they're not necessarily an exciting team, even though uh, when they wear their classics, they have one of the better jerseys in the league. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Tarasenko, I think, the analytics community has been boosting him for a long time, but you're right. He never really caught on in mainstream as an elite player. And I think last year was the first time that he really got credit for being good in the playoffs, but he also had a great run in 2015-16 and 2014-15. He was over a point per game. You know, he's got 33 goals in 70 playoff games. It's not like he's been shirking his responsibilities there. I think... That's especially difficult for a guy who, not to say that the Blues have been untalented, they've had lots of talent, but I think he was their premier offensive weapon, and they didn't have anything anywhere close to him for a long time until they brought in, you know, uh, Braden Chen and Jaden Schwartz got healthy, and Ryan O'Reilly became their top center who was, you know, phenomenal last playoffs. Mm Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, the fact that he's able to continue to do that despite being the guy that everybody is going to focus on in the playoffs speaks volumes. You know, he's just a guy who's able to do things on his own. He creates offense when everybody is focused on taking his offense away. And that just impresses me. Yeah, and especially now it feels like so long ago because the most recent kind of lasting image we have is them hoisting the cup and going on that epic run. But there were so many years there where they were losing to, you know, the the prime Blackhawks and the prime Kings mm-hmm. in round one and stuff. And it felt like they were kind of labeled as, um, you know, not choke artists, but kind of like the team that always fell short and always lost too early. And um, 
you're right. He, I mean, as, as the best player on that team, or at least the most prolific kind of, uh, guy they rely upon offensively, he took a lot of that blame. But similar to what was going on with Ovechkin, like the fact that he was just constantly scoring goals, but the team around him wasn't scoring enough to keep advancing, it felt like it was very unfair. So yeah, no, he, he's also an interesting guy because, you know, he, you don't want to kind of scoff at or shrug at the 35 goals or whatever he's going to give you every year. But I was looking at like sort of his power play production. I know he had double digits last year, but for the most part, he's been in kind of that like seven or eight power play goals per year range. And with that unique wrister of his from the right circle and or from the circle and how um, big of a threat he is as a shooter, like it, it does feel like those totals should be a little bit higher. Maybe it's just kind of like the creativity around him and just how reliant on them they are and how defenses know that like he's the get the shooter you got to keep an eye on so they can crowd him a little bit more. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on there, but it does feel like just based on how talented he is and how good it looks when he shoots the puck, like those totals should be slightly higher. Yeah, you would think so. Right. I, I feel like there's a few players like that, that they can get those shots off. You expect them to be able to do it on the power play when there's more space and it just like doesn't really happen for him and never really has, uh, you know, not that he's going to be on this list anymore, but uh, patch ready in his prime was kind mm-hmm. of the same thing. Even strength, unbelievable. One of the best in the league. And then it goes to the power play and his shot turns into a muffin for some reason. It's it's super strange. But yeah, Tarasenko definitely, you would expect more power play production. All right. Well, we are actually done. Uh, we're inside my top 10. We're about to do your 10th rank guy. Let's, before we do that, let's take a quick break here from a sponsor and then we're going to finish up these rankings. All right. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast is Seek. It always feels like getting tickets to sporting events feels like it's overly complicated. You wind up having to open a thousand different tabs while you're searching for the best deal. You're not sure if what you're paying for is what you're actually going to get. If you're going to show up to the event and find out that you got fake tickets, you can never really visualize where you're going to be sitting. Uh, You're not sure if the price is a fair one or if you're getting ripped off. All of it's just a huge hassle and that's so annoying because... This should be a fun thing that you're doing for yourself, going out and having a fun night, but this kind of defeats the purpose of it. It doesn't need to be that way because SeatGeek's changing the game before getting tickets. They do all the work for you. They scour the web, they pull all the tickets in one place, they grade them based on value, and then they rate each of them on a scale of 1 to 10, and then display them on an interactive seat map so you can actually visualize where you're sitting, and you look for the green dots, which indicate a good deal, which you want to go after, and the red dots indicate overpriced tickets that you want to stay away from. And every purchase of them is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I've got the Seagate app on my phone, and i found time and time again that it's the easiest way to find tickets. They save you time, they save you money, and they save you effort. Whether it's a hockey game, whether it's a basketball game, whether it's an MLB postseason game, whether it's a football game, whether it's a stand up comedy show or a concert they've got it all if an event has tickets SeatGeek's probably got them and they've probably got the best deal for you so now that we're still in October and it's still the best sporting month in my opinion there's so many good things to check out so if you've been reluctant to give SeatGeek a shot I think this is the this is the right time to do so and if you're still a bit unsure how's this for for an extra little uh, nudge to get you over the hump SeatGeek's going to give you $10 off your first purchase just for listening to today's episode of the Hockeypedia cast all you need to do is use our promo code and let them know we sent you. Download the Seek app today and use the promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. Now let's get back to the show. All right, give me your uh, give me your 10th rank guy because we've already done mine and that was David Pasternak. All right, so my 10th rank guy is Johnny Gaudreau. Mm-hmm. And I was tempted to put him higher, 
but it's just the de- defensive deficiencies that hold him back a little bit. To me, he's kind of like better Mitch Marner, and we could say better due to him being in his prime. He's 26 years old, and Marner's a lot younger. But uh, I, I think he's the the one guy in the league who's probably on that same level of creativity as Marner without being like a generational player. So that, like, I mean, he's one of the funnest guys in the league to watch. Uh, easily, in my opinion, the best three-on-three player in the league. Uh, every year, he's just like, you give him that extra space, and it's ridiculous what he's able to do. But uh, yeah, the defensive play is not good, mm-hmm. and it's kind of compounded by playing with Sean Monahan, who also is very poor defensively. But they're able to get it done anyway because they're both so incredibly good offensively and then the flames have that that second line which is a first line for most teams right that uh is able to you know kind of counteract what these guys give up so i, I really like johnny goodrow but i i couldn't in good faith put him higher than that yeah he is in the perfect spot in the sense that uh that backland and kachuk duo can sort of perfectly slot in behind them and do all the stuff that they kind of can or can't or struggle with. And so that allows the flames to use those guys in more offensive situations and really kind of cater to their skill sets, which is ideal. Um, yeah, I mean, he was remarkably good last year. I thought he, I thought he got even better and, you know, his ability to carry the puck, similar to Rosalma Forsberg, use it to draw penalties, the creativity. I mean, offensively, he really is a total package. He gets slandered quite a bit now because people think that after a couple of short um, playoff runs that his size can't hold up in the postseason and teams can sort of uh, press on him and, and, and kind of put their body weight on him a little bit and, and sort of take advantage of the more lenient um, officiating. I, I th- still think it's such a small sample size in that regard that I'm not willing to just write him off as a guy who can't be efficient in the postseason. But you're, you're right. I mean, in terms of, uh, in terms of when he has the puck, he is remarkable. I had him at nine. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else there really is to say about him. I mean, I mean, he's in that rare tier of playmakers where, you know, how I was saying about Tarasenko where anyone he any center he plays with, he'll probably get his 35 goals. I feel pretty confident that any player that plays with Johnny Goodrow is going to have a career season. I mean, look at what yeah. uh, Elias Lindholm did early on last year when they put him with him and just sort of how he went from being a guy who uh, was a horrendous uh shooter when it came to efficiency during his time in Carolina to just being absolutely on fire. And he came back down to earth a little bit in the second half, but, um, you know, him Monahan, like, I don't think these guys are great players by any means. They're good players, but Goodrow and his ability to create space for them and get them the puck in prime shooting regions makes them look a lot better and a lot more efficient offensively than they are. And so his ability to make others around him that much better um, is a very rare skill in this league. A lot of guys can kind of get theirs, but it's really tough to make inferior talent um, that much better. And so I, I give him a lot of credit for that because there's very few guys that can do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, you look at Monaghan and I'll give him credit for being in the right spaces and, and going to some tough places to stand in. But has there been any player in the league over the last few years that's had more tap in goals in the far side of the net than Sean Monaghan? And like I said, he has to get there. But Gaudreau finds him. Uh, he is such an incredible playmaker. He's so excellent at making that cross crease pass. And, you know, Monaghan's got the quick hands to get it in the net before the goalie can even react. It's it's such a perfect pairing offensively in that sense. And, you know, you touched on the power play or not the power play, the playoff stuff that 
narrative really drove me nuts in the playoffs last year mm-hmm. because you know I have the ability to look at the data and see what Goudreau actually did in those games, and he was the best player possibly in the series offensively. He was incredible. He was creating so many chances, but if nobody can finish, nobody can finish. And in five games, you know, things can happen. Goalies can stand on their heads. And I think Colorado did an amazing job coaching in that series to shut Calgary down. It wasn't Gaudreau that was shut down. It was just everybody else. And by virtue of that, you know, one point in five games, but 1.5 1.5 games doesn't mean that he can be shut out continually in the playoffs. It was one series, and people just get so freaked out about that stuff. It, it's like you would think that after watching the Villain-Leno situation happen that people would realize that judging players based on small playoff performances is not a good idea, but it seems like it's every year we get the same thing, and it just won't quit. <laughs> people overestimate how much the playoffs are worth as an evaluating tool yeah billy leno fernando pisani a lot of of guys who have had a like a very well-timed uh 10 to 15 game stretch um all right let's keep going here what do you have after goodrow after goodrow i have i believe claude Giroux. yeah claude Giroux. So I didn't have Claude Giroux in my top fifteen. He was uh, he was on my just missed the Conorombo mentions, um, but I, I wanted to save talking about him because I figured you would have him in the top fifteen after we talked about centers and we were talking about Kachiria and you were so glowing about him. So I figured we'd wait to uh, to discuss him by the time we got to your list. But I am I am a little bit surprised that uh, it took us this long to get to him. Yeah, I, I would, didn't realize you had him in your honorable mentions, but that's a smart tactic. That, that's some good pod, podcasting, I mean, listen, Dimitri. Listen, I'm a host. I've hosted. 318 of these shows now like i i I know the formula i've got it down to a science (laughs) yeah so uh, drew i think we can both agree that his career was kind of saved by moving to the wing Mm -hmm. and uh, i think he's clearly benefited remarkably by playing with uh, sean couturier who's if not a you know uh franchise level player he's a highly elite player uh but Drew is the offensive driver on the line still. Um, uh, you know, putting him on the wing kind of gives her him a a kinder way to be evaluated. You know, he's not going to get dinged as much for not being amazing defensively. Although I think he's just fine, and his, his power play work, I still think he's it's between him, Marner, and Wheeler as the three best power play players in the entire NHL for me in terms of like how many scoring chances they create and the quality of the scoring chances they create. And he continues to exemplify that even though the uh, Flyers power play hasn't been necessarily amazing. Uh, he's doing the work to make it good when they finally figure out the rest of it. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's fair and that's well said. I mean, he is still such a prolific um offensive player I, I i don't know maybe i was talking a little bit too much just because of that sort of shift and and how um i felt like bumping to the wing and playing with with uh sean couturier did sort of elongate or, or or save his career but um he's also gotten healthy and and as we mentioned when we were talking about couturier he handled that transition with uh the utmost kind of class and in stride and and um it's benefited both of them um, and I've really been interested to see so far this year how 
the Flyers are deploying their lines because they've split those guys up now and they've kind of gone to this uh, more offensively oriented line with Kevin Hayes centering Giroux and Voracek. And then they've used Couturier with Lindblom and Konechny as sort of this dominant, uh, you know, five on five, more two way, well-rounded line. And it's an interesting combination. And, and, and I think it make it's it makes a lot of sense and the results have been good so far and so i'm kind of curious to see how that keeps playing out because uh it wasn't something that i was expecting heading into the year yeah i think the one thing for that line that i would be worried about with drew and hayes and voracek is uh who's gonna shoot yeah it's a lot of passing it's it's a lot of passing a lot of playmaking on that line and like kevin hayes can shoot uh, he has a really good shot. He goes to good areas. He's really good at shooting off the rush. Uh, Giroux likes to shoot more from the perimeter on the power play, uh, mainly to create rebounds for people to to get in. And, you know, Voracek can score. I think he has a decent shot, but he doesn't really shoot very much. Yeah, that that's going to be a tough one. I feel like that line might overpass a heck of a lot at even strength. And, you know, they might be really good at, like, dominating zone time because i mean you got voracek to uh be the play driver hayes is a pretty decent play driver as well and drew on the wing it's it's not a bad thing none of those guys are bad but yeah <laughs> somebody's got to shoot there well, i don't, I don't know who's the, gonna be. the back of the net yeah i guess so mm-hmm. you know make maybe they'll come up with like these crazy highlight reel passing plays all the time and then it'll just be a tap in for for Hayes, who who likes to go to the net, so we'll see. I guess I guess what it comes down to for that line is can Giroux keep up skating wise for them to become an attacking off the rush line? Mm. And I would doubt that a little bit because he's not the fleetest of foot, right? And Hayes is quite quick, right. so that I guess I just doubt their ability to produce the way that Giroux and Couturier did. That's fair. I do think that line does offer a lot of potential in terms of uh, like pinning teams in the in the defensive zone and really like mm-hmm. destroying off the cycle and, and using their size to uh, to kind of create a lot. But you're right. I mean, um, in terms of those other two guys, you'd like to see a little bit more, especially with where the game's headed, um, offensive ability off the rush. Um, yeah, we're getting into so we're we're in our top eight now, and. These are all, I mean, now that we're in here, not that the guys before them were, um, you know, bad players by any means, but now like these top eight are just like, in my opinion, just super duper elite guys. Yeah, it, it gets to that point where it's like, these are guys that are team linchpins kind of thing. And I, I think you could probably put a couple of the guys below it as that, but they're just not, like you wouldn't pick them first overall or not first overall but first in a like if you're doing a league redraft right Mm -hmm. whereas these guys you can probably get away with that even though they're wingers okay so who do you have at eight at eight i have and i know i'm gonna take heat for this again because i take it for it every year i have alex ovechkin uh i am a bit higher yeah you usually do Mm -hmm. yeah ovechkin obviously best goal scorer in the league uh in my opinion best goal scorer of all time yeah Yes, of all time. And I, I just think the problem with Ovechkin is just that he's not a, a play driver. No. And, you know, his centers have done a lot for him to make up for that. But uh, he he coasts defensively. He doesn't really get involved. And he just waits for an opportunity to create offense. And that's fine because he puts up 50 goals every year. <laughs> but I think that the other guys ahead of him just do a little bit more. That's it. 
Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, we really are picking nits here, right? And and uh, most of these guys do uh, so much so well that you're kind of you have to consider the stuff that are negatives or detriments in their game, and it's pretty clear. But Ovechkin isn't the most well-rounded player and doesn't have the um, the highest kind of five-on-five play driving effect, as you mentioned. At the same time, I think he's such a, a unique individual in so many ways here, and part of it is. He's such like a overwhelming kind of physical force, um, like his ability to when he wants to take over games and exert his will physically and, and the threat he is off the rush. And then as a shooter from his office on the power play, um, I just felt like ultimately uh, silly bumping him lower than five where I had him because he's so good and he yeah. um he takes control in such a way that um is is just so unique and 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 I just couldn't justify moving him down anymore. But I totally get uh where you're coming from if you were like constructing a team and it feels like you know you'd really have to build around him and, and the Capitals have done a great job of that and with the centers he's played with and, and the guys that they surround him with. So um, he's in a great spot, but he is just such a such a threat. And I do feel like uh, it's remarkable that you know he stays as healthy as he does, given the way he plays. And oh my god, no kidding! His time and all that, and I, I do think that's a you know a, a check mark in in sort of his positives. Where um, some of these guys, you, you you talk about them, and it's like, oh well, they miss a lot of time. I mean, we're going to talk about Taylor Hall here in a bit, and and he's had some freak injuries, but he also, I mean. He's no longer with his play. head down. Yeah. And, and with, with Ovechkin, it's like, yeah, he's going to play. I mean, he's probably going to play like 78 or 79 games. He'll probably miss a game randomly for suspension. He's going to like rest once or whatever, but like he's not going to be injured. And if he is, he's still going to play through it and he's still going to be remarkably effective. And so part of the battle is just being out there and he's always good for that. And, you know, they lost in round one last year and he had more time to sort of rest up and uh, recuperate physically in the off season. And I presume he wasn't getting drunk and doing too many push-ups and fountains <laughs> with people videotaping it. Although he not that it affected him much last year. No, not that it affected him at all, but I do feel like he, he yeah. has had a little bit of extra jump so far this year. And he's, uh, you know, come out of the gate hot and he's scoring a lot of goals again. And, and uh, you know, at this stage of his career, it, it's, it's very comforting to see that because sometimes when a guy gets, you know, around the thousand game mark and has, and has played, uh, as long as he has and is in his in his mid thirties, sometimes like this stuff just happens really quickly where they just go away for the summer and then they come back and they just don't look like the same player anymore physically. And so I guess it's been like very reassuring to see him kind of come back and still look like that same Alex Ovechkin and produce like him. And um, you know sometimes maybe we take it for granted a little bit because it just feels like it can't envision a world where that's not going to be the case. And like you said, with all their time, eventually it will happen to all of the all of these guys. But um, his ability to fight that off and keep just being that overwhelming physical force is is just so so impressive and you can't say enough about it yeah and i think alongside the ability to just continue being healthy and being in great shape and do it every year what i respect about ovechkin is he's able to not necessarily rewind the clock but change his game in order to either re-add or add new skills to his repertoire like i feel like the power play production has always been there you know like he's never struggled with getting pucks to the ov spot and you know we we can talk about how great nick backstrom is kuznetsov john carlson mike green and playmaking throughout his career but ovechkin always finds a way to be open 
And that is such a, a, a skill for players who shoot the puck. He, you'd think that every single person who's ever played on the penalty kill in the NHL against the Capitals is thinking, where is Ovechkin? But he still gets lost. You know, and, and that is so incredible. That's never left his game, but his even strength scoring did start to dip. And after the 2016-17 season, I remember reading him talking in interviews about how he wanted to add more speed to his game and start attacking more off the rush. And then all of a sudden, 2017-18, 2018-19, the old Ovi's back where he's, you know, barreling down the, the wing and cutting to the middle and sniping through defensive defenseman's legs again. And it's like, okay, so he's added the rush scoring again. And it seems like he's got it again this year. And, you know, that pep in the step you were talking about, every year when a guy's in their 30s who's as dominant as Ovechkin, you expect him to no longer be the top goal scorer in the league anymore. And, you know, from his cold, dead hands. He's not going to let anybody else take that trophy. You know, it's it's crazy what he's able to do to to maintain that scoring ability. And he's already got five and seven this season. Yeah, no, it is so impressive that everyone that's like the the highest level of greatness where everyone knows exactly what you want to do. And, and you just still do it. You just can't stop it. It's like you're calling yep. a shot and it's like he just time and time again just gets it done. And it's uh, it's so darn impressive. Um, so I have Taylor Hall at eight and I think he's higher than a top eight talent and Mm -hmm. not too long ago he was the league's MVP whether you agree that he deserved it or not he was clearly on another level that season but I mean I was just what I was just saying about Ovechkin in terms of uh, durability and ability to be on the ice and carry their team with Hall I mean he's played less than 65 games in more than half of his NHL seasons and we'll see um you know so far so good he hasn't gotten injured this is a big year for him because he's looking to get paid for arguably I mean probably the last time like in a massive sum in his NHL career and um he will certainly do so even if he misses a bunch of time this year because of the resume and because of how hard it is to find game-breaking talent like him but um it's been a pretty shaky start so far in New Jersey and they certainly haven't gotten off to the start that I think people were envisioning from them. And so I'm going to be watching him very closely this year because he's still, from what I've seen, looks like that Taylor Hall we know and love where he's just such a threat off the rush and he's carrying the puck from his zone all the way into the offensive zone and creating and, and pushing defenders back with his speed. But, um, yeah, just the the ability to be on the ice and to carry a team for all 82 games is something that has been lacking. And that's ultimately when we're nitpicking why I bumped him down to eight, even though I believe he's probably like a top five talent. Yeah, and I had him significantly higher. I had him up at three, mm. and I'm regretting it a little bit now that you're talking about all the, the health concerns. Because I, I totally agree that there's a lot more question marks around Taylor Hall the the player in terms of like longevity than there is around a lot of the other guys that I had below him. So uh, it, it's a tough one because I think when, like you said, when he's at his peak, he is one of the best play, one of the best players period in the NHL. And yeah, the MVP thing is always a sticking point for debate, but uh, he was unbelievable that year. Yep. And last year, I think may have not necessarily harmed his image from missing so much time, but people kind of like forgot how good he was because, you know, in Edmonton he was always underrated and then he had that crazy year in New Jersey and it almost looked like a one-off because he didn't have a chance to repeat it. Yeah. Hopefully New Jersey figures it out this year and, uh, 
can start looking a little bit better because they've looked awful. Well, and uh, you, you know what's fascinating with him? Like we were talking about Pasternak, for example, and sort of how he's in this spot where he hasn't had to do too much and he can kind of grow into it. And um, yeah, Hall would trade for him, <laughs> trade that in. Well, no, of course, but it's also like it's kind of like it's a blessing and a curse in this regard because mm-hmm. like his skill set is so perfectly suited to doing all of the heavy lifting and just mm-hmm. like, you know, he's like one of those rare guys like Jack Eichel where he can consistently go back in the defensive zone, get the puck and just carry it with a full head of steam through traffic and create something in the offensive zone in a blink of an eye. And there's so few guys that can do that. So like he's perfectly suited for it, but at the same time, I'm sure that's played a role in why he has gone so banged up. I mean, he's had to do so much for his teams and, all these guys, I imagine, would love playing with great players and it'd make life easier for them. And it'd be a lot more fun to be able to just kind of roam around a little bit and not always have to create everything. And he hasn't really gotten that luxury at any point in his career. So, um, you know, the Devils do have significantly more talent despite their uh, poor, shaky start so far. And it's still too early to write them off. So I guess this is kind of one of those things where just look, wait and see if if he can stay on the ice, how it turns out, whether they can give him a bit more support because the talent is still clearly there. But there are, there are a, a few question marks. Yeah, yeah, there are. Uh, who did you have above for – who did you have at number seven? Uh, I had Patrick Kane. So did I. That's interesting. I was worried that I was going to be out on a limb there with Kane so low. But, uh, yeah, I, I had Kane lower than that. I think he's, you know, a really good player. Yeah. Um, I just don't think he is as good defensively as some of the guys above him. And, you know, what? You know, it's do? the age thing again. He's starting to get uh, up there a little bit. And Chicago, I think some of the shines come off them as well. So mm-hmm. the, the team around him isn't as strong and that uh, affects him. But his offense is still phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, people can just go back and listen to the sections about Mitch Marner and Johnny Goodrow. And yeah. And just insert it here. I mean, the offensive talent, the creativity, the puck uh, ability with the puck is stunning. Um, you know, his point totals reflect that. And similar to... The Blackhawks as a whole last year, um, it was a lot of kind of like going for broke and, and just sort of completely neglecting everything and one end of the ice to try and outshoot all their woes and outscore all their woes. And they did it on occasion and, and there's enough talent there to make it work for stretches of time, but it's not a very sustainable formula in today's NHL. And so, um, I mean, seventh is, is really high and, and deservedly so, but I think some people would probably be surprised that he's not higher just based on when you look at the end of the season and you look at the point totals and you see how high he is, you'd think that we'd have him higher on this list, but he is, um, you know, uh, not as well-rounded as a lot of the guys that are going to be ahead of him here. Exactly, and I, I think that's the main thing that holds him back. I mean, people are going to look at him and say 110 points last season. How could he only be seventh? And, geez, he had 340 shots last I guess like four or five years ago, he just decided decided he was going to be a shooter. Hey, eh? like he went from yeah. never really touching thirty goals to forty. You know, forty goals twice in the last four years. Like it's pretty impressive that he was able to do that and kind of carry the Blackhawks offensively on his back while Taves kind of fell off a little bit for a while. And I think Taves came back with a vengeance last year. And uh, the numbers that kind of pointed to Taves getting back to. Uh, solid offensive numbers for a couple seasons and things didn't work out that way until last year. But uh, yeah, it's interesting to see how much 
Kane can carry offensively. But like you said, part of the reason why those point totals are so far up is because the Blackhawks just abandoned any idea of defense and left their goalies out to dry for multiple seasons here. And they're trying to outshoot opponents with an empty net, essentially. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's an interesting strategy. It hasn't worked out so well. No, no, it hasn't. I mean, it's fun to watch, but uh, in terms of Very wins fun. and losses, not great. Um, all right, let's keep going. So who do you have at six? I have uh, Kane's old line mate, Artemi Panarin. And it was Ooh. tough for me to put him this low, actually, because I, I like Panarin so much. But I just think, you know, like I have Marshawn right ahead of Panarin, and I think they kind of have the same impact overall. But I, I feel like Marshawn adds that, like, agitation quality, and he scores a little bit more than Panarin does, so it just put him slightly over for me. But I would be very open to swapping them around. I think the next, like, three or four players, up like, up to number two, I could swap any of them, and it wouldn't really matter. Yeah, I have Panarin at four. Um, you know, similar to what you said. I mean, listen, he uh, since entering the league, whatever it's been, four or five, four years, I think. Uh, this is his fifth one. He's fifth in five on five points, uh, seventh in total points at five on five. He's fourth in in primary points, so goals created, eighth in overall goals created. I mean, he's been um, such a dynamic player. He is such a unique player uh, in his sort of the in the creativity and sort of how he approaches the game and you can tell that uh he sort of refined and worked on his game overseas on a large rice areas before coming here because he just like thinks and approaches the game in a, in a different way in terms of his willingness to hold on to the puck to let plays open up not to just kind of dump it in or, or get rid of it quickly uh, because he's afraid that he's going to mess up and his coach is going to be mad at him and um He's been so good, and it was really reassuring over the past two years to see that when he wasn't playing with Patrick Kane, that he was still able to carry an offense and make guys around him better and create stuff for them, and he did just that. And Columbus, as we've seen already, is is sorely lacking that creativity and, and that offense from him, whereas the Rangers, albeit one of those games, was against, uh, was against the Ottawa Senators, but uh, they look absolutely dynamic offensively, and... Yeah, I mean, he is just, he's a remarkable player, and he does it all, really, with the puck, and so that's thats why I had him. But I think we, we both agree. I mean, you had him at six, I had him at four. We're like, we're right there, and, and it's very interchangeable with, especially a guy like Marshawn. Yeah, and, you know, Mar- uh, Panarin, I think, is top two uh, possession-driving guys in the league in terms of, like, transitioning the puck up the ice. I also think he's really underrated defensively. I think he's, like, really, really good defensively. So there's just nothing really to knock about his game. He's got the creativity. He's got the defensive awareness. He's moving the puck up for you. Like, he's one of those guys where any team could sign him, slot him in wherever with whoever, and you're going to be fine. Yeah. And it's a it's a great combination putting him and and because of Benajad as a shooter together, I think those two guys are going to have a lot of fun this season and put up some pretty crazy point totals. So I'm excited to uh, to watch that. Um, so I had Ovechkin at five. Um, the guy that we touched on briefly is Marshan, and I had him at six. Um, where'd you have him on your list? Uh, five. Okay, yeah. So you have him right there. So I mean, there isn't too much more to be said at this point. Like. We alluded to it earlier, but his career arc, how he's gotten uh, seemingly more talented or more empowered offensively to do more as his career has gone on here into his late 20s, how he's constantly time and time again been um, 
a well above average to great uh, shooter in terms of efficiency. And then he started playing more, started playing on the power play, started shooting more, and that efficiency didn't really dip. And he just basically kept being that same guy, but just you prorated those stats and, and expanded them and his point totals and counting stats just increased accordingly. And I feel like there's so few guys that can do that. We sometimes as analysts get in trouble of that where it's like, Oh, look at this guy's per, per 60 stats, like how good he is, look how efficient he is in this limited easy usage. And then we just expect that they can kind of carry that over while playing against better players and playing more. And uh, a lot of guys kind of crumble under that expectation and pressure and, and physical demands. Whereas he basically just like continued to keep doing that. And, you know, playing with, with Pasternak and, and Bergeron certainly helps, but his ability on the penalty kill as a passer, as a puck carrier, um, you know, all shenanigans aside. And that's probably why, uh, that's why it is so frustrating as sort of an unbiased observer to see him resort to some of the dumb stuff sometimes. Cause it's like, yes. he's so good, um, that I would just love if that was the focus. And that's what we were talking about as opposed to this whole other kind of subplot and side story of him doing questionable stuff and getting in trouble with the league. And so, um, you know, we'll see as, as his career keeps going here. But I mean, he's just he's just so damn talented with a puck. And uh, when when he's going and when that line is moving, it's remarkably fun to watch. And some of the stuff they do is just incredible. Yeah, uh, the power play work I think is the weirdest thing. Like outside, of, like he obviously added the goal scoring and has never looked back. But the the power play work, the fact that his first six seasons in the league he had seventeen power play points, and last year alone he had double that. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that that doesn't really happen for a guy who's thirty years old. So it's it's incredible what he's been able to do. But yeah, it it would be nice to see a long stretch before the next time Brad Marchand gets in trouble for just actively trying to hurt someone, not within the game, just, you know, throwing out a knee or Licking a them. slew foot. Yeah. It's just, it's such a distraction. And I get that part of it is not necessarily his brand, but how he makes himself effective is he gets people so angry and, and they do something stupid in response and they're the ones who get caught. But I do wonder how we would talk about Brad Marchand if referees didn't find him so funny because man, he gets away with a lot. And I, I know I forget who it was who was talking to a ref last year that like full on admitted that they give Marchand more breaks because they find him funny. Yeah. It's like it's such a caricature at this point that it's like Yeah. You just believe anything. It's like, oh Brad Marchand did this and I see you like, oh yeah, I mean I it checks out. Like I believe it. And so it's kind of just like it's so ridiculous that it's past that point, but you're right. I mean, um, it is, it is annoying that like, you know, you, you, you can't really talk about a guy like that without mentioning all that other stuff. And, and the fact that he is so talented and still resorts to that is, is frustrating, but, uh, it's kind of, you kind of have to take it, um, as it is at this point of his career. Cause I can't really see that changing. Uh, so we're in the top five now we're done. We're actually inside of my top three. Um, so give me, give me your four, three, two, and one. Okay, so I already had Hall at number three that was out there, okay. but uh, my number four is Dreisaitl, mm-hmm. uh, two is Stone, and one is Kucherov. All right, so I got Dreisaitl at three, Stone at two, and Kucherov at one, so we are... Yeah, uh, so we're only one off. We're right there. Um, I guess as people were playing along at home, they could have seen that coming. Um, although I was curious to see whether you would have Stone and Kucherov flipped. That was like my mm. my only... Uh, I was tempted. Yeah. 
Yeah, it felt like it felt like doing that might have been like overthinking it a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like that, like uh, hockey Twitter sort of hipster thing. It's like no, no, no. That everyone kind of embraces the fact that Mark Stone is so good now, but it's like he does all this other stuff, and everyone talks about it. And sometimes like Kucherov just makes it look so easy. And with how last year ended, it's easy to kind of forget, I guess. Um, the impact he has offensively with the puck and it might be overthinking it just a little bit to, uh, to bump him down. Although there's no shame in being uh, the second best winger in the league. Yeah. And I think the other thing is like, I, I want to see Mark stone for a full season in Vegas mm-hmm. and it, there's potential there that he could put up unbelievably ridiculous numbers. If they stick with that, like stone Pacioretty, Stastny line, I know that they haven't uh, had them all together for most of the season so far, but you know, whoever is in the middle, I think they had uh, Cody Glass for the first couple games uh, between them instead of Stastny. But whoever's in the middle, uh, those two together, I think there's so much potential there. Uh, Mark Stone actually having talented line mates and a team that is good all around him. So he doesn't ever have to play with, the, you know, Cody CC dragging him down. I, I just think the potential is so crazy. And last season in the limited sample size that they were together, they were like, unbelievably dominant to the point where I was looking at the numbers I was like this isn't real I was like there's got to be some sort of error here like I don't understand how this is even happening uh you know numbers that I would expect from like the Sergei Fedorov Red Wings were coming out you know <laughs> yeah. like it, it was incredible and I, I want to see that and if he's able to produce that for a whole season I have no problem flipping him above Kucherov but for now I mean Kucherov he just put up a season. I think it was like the highest point total. Sorry, point total since like oh five oh six, maybe even longer. Yeah, it might have been all the way back to like peak Yager. Yeah, like that's <laughs> that's something special. And like you know, we can't always focus on point totals, and we don't as people who are more analytically inclined. But right. it's still so special to be able to do that, especially when you're playing in the same league that has Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid. And, you know, Kucherov has a lot of talent around him to benefit from, but he's still the one getting it done. Yeah. I mean, at some point, the uh, the point total becomes so overwhelming that you kind of yes. have to buy him into it more. And it helps that when you watch it, like, it, it totally checks out. And uh, there is a lot of talent around him, and that power play is just ridiculously stacked. But let's not fool ourselves. Like, it all begins and ends and runs through him. And when he's firing on all cylinders, they're just unstoppable his ability from that uh kind of right half wall to just command the attention of the defense and if they sag off a bit he will pick the top corner and score gladly if they sag a bit towards him he'll fire it across the ice and basically give steven stamkos an alley-oop dunk to finish off and so he can really do it all and so you're right with stone um he is in a great spot now they're using him in that kind of ovechkin shot on the power play i imagine his goal totals and point totals will be um, higher and more impressive this year. It feels like there's a lot of buzz towards him not only uh, finally kind of bucking the trend and being a winger that wins a Selkie, but also potentially being in the heart discussion. And if Vegas is as good as we think they are and could very well win the West uh, as their best offensive player or the guy with the highest totals for them, he will certainly draw a lot of that love. And so I think those two guys are pretty clearly one, two, and, and there isn't too much more to be said about him. Uh, Dreisaitl, who you had at four and I had at three. I mean, I initially was slow to come around to this. I was definitely one of the people who um, would constantly talk about how I'd love to see him carry his own line and play away from McDavid and see how he how he does. And I still think, you know, pro- probably from a big picture perspective, um, that would 
behooved Oilers. The problem is they've done such a bad job of surrounding them with wingers that yeah. it's like maybe the strategy of just putting playing those two guys together and just playing them all the time is their best way to go. I'm, I'm not sure how sustainable it is for a full season. I know people have talked about like, or some Oilers fans have pushed back uh, when I was talking about his usage earlier. And they're like, well, he did it last year, so he can do it again. But I think there's a big difference between the 22 or so minutes he was playing last year and the 25 plus he's playing so far this year. And uh, it is going to be interesting to see how much those guys can handle. And clearly the Oilers will go as far as, uh, as Dreisaitl and McDavid can take them. But I mean, listen, so far in six games, he's got 12 points and he's playing 25-08 a night. So there's not, That's much pretty more, impressive. there's not much more that he could do. And he looks so good. He looks... He's like one of those guys that's surprisingly fast because he looks so big and lumbering that sometimes you can kind of uh, just think of him as being slower, but he takes advantage of that and he kind of catches defenders off guard and and, and bursts through the seam there. And um, yeah, I mean, he there's occasions where you watch them and I know this can kind of sound sacrilegious, but he there's occasions where he is the best player on the ice. And that's a remarkable thing to say for a guy who does play with on the same team and on the same line as the best player in the world. Yeah. And I think, you know, as much as we always talk about, you know, a guy like Dreshel, you want to see him carry his own line. And I think this is one of those situations where this summer we had the Wowie debates where analytics people were like kind of dunking on the general public for still using them and saying like, Oh, they're weak compared to the models. And, you know, you had some people kind of sitting on the sidelines like myself saying like, yeah, I get it. But at the same time, the average person isn't going to want to read like a 4,000 word treatise on what your model does. But Wowie is easily explainable and kind of gets the point across as long as you, you know, keep in mind the, the fundamental weaknesses of that kind of measure. And I think those fundamental weaknesses really hurt Leon Dreisaitl's evaluation. Because uh, when he's not with McDavid, he's with Trash. And McDavid can kind of do whatever because he's McDavid. And just because Dreisaitl isn't as good as McDavid doesn't mean he can't carry a line. It's just he can't carry a line with sub like mid-level AHL players. Right. And I don't, yeah, that's one of those things where like, I wouldn't really knock him for it. And I think when you look at the individual stuff that Dreisaitl does, even away from McDavid, you can see that he does carry those lines and quite well, even if the results aren't necessarily great. It's just because there's only so much you can do with four boat anchors attached to your butt, you know? And uh, Dreisaitl's one of the best possession-driving players in the league. Uh, he's unbelievably good at uh, bringing that puck from the defensive zone to the offensive zone. And, you know, you put that with McDavid and it's absolute magic and you take him apart from McDavid and it's still really good. Um, he's not going to create as much offense as McDavid does, but the offense he does create, it's usually going to be him shooting. And that's big too. You know, last year, 50 goals. Wouldn't be surprised if he hits that again a couple times in his career. He's got so much talent and he's the kind of guy that like a couple seasons from now, you might see him atop the winger position, you know, partially because he's going to feed off of McDavid on the power play and probably at even strength, but Mm -hmm. also because he is that good. He is. He certainly is. He's an absolute monster and his ability to do everything he does for that team. I mean, it's, uh, you know, part of it is, is that a necessity, but his ability to hold up and actually do it is an entirely different thing. And, and he makes it look easy. So, um, 
yeah, when I went into this process, I wasn't expecting him to have have him as high as that because I was a bit more skeptical skeptical on him. But the more you watch him and the more you look into the numbers, it was just his case was kind of uh, indisputable or unassailable in a way. Um, all right, Andrew, we finally did it. We uh, we powered we got through, through the it. wingers. We got through the wingers. We've done all the positions. This was a blast. I'm uh, I'm already looking forward to the uh, 2020 version of it next September. Um, plug some stuff. Where can people check out your work? What are you working on? And, uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, the usual three articles a week for Sportsnet. You can always check that out. Uh, you can Google Sportsnet and my name and my contributor page will show up. You, I think you can even subscribe to an RSS feed if you really like me. Nice. And uh, Winnipeg Free Press as well. And hey, if you got some money to burn, I've still got a donation page up for the uh, PK Subban Foundation. I did a, a spinathon in August, mm. which uh, I need to raise some money for, and I've been slacking. So that's for uh, the families of sick kids because when you have a kid in the hospital oftentimes you're going to be missing work and even though we have universal health care here it's going to hurt you financially yep. so those people need help and that's what the foundation's for oh that's a great cause man and uh people should definitely check that out and thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to do this it was a blast as always and uh we'll have you back on soon my pleasure man looking forward to it Cheers. Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.